chapter 12, 1 through 3. I'm going to start a story in one book, and I'm going to finish the, the story in another book of the Bible. But I want to pull from both parts. In John 12, 1 through 3, it starts, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table. Then took Mary, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. And I want to pick up in Mark chapter 14 on that story. It says, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, a spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it out on, on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why waste this, why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and had been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She has wrought a good work for me. For, the poor, for you have the poor with you always. And whatsoever you will, you may do good to them. But me, you have not always. Verse 8 says, she has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily, I say unto you, wheresoever the gospel is preached throughout the entire whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken of for a memorial for her. Go back to verse 8. One more time, I want to focus on something Jesus said. This woman came and poured her, this alabaster box of ointment down at his feet. It was really a flask. And she broke and poured out at the feet of Jesus and everybody's questioning her. He said, look, she's done what she could. There's something about that statement that just catches me. Because Jesus, when everybody else is criticizing her and everybody else is talking about her and said, you should have done this different, you should have done that different. Jesus said, no, she did what she could. She did all that she could for me today. And while you were sitting here having a good time with me and hanging out with me and having just an ordinary meal with me, this woman did what she could. I believe that God's challenging us today to step out of our comfort zone. See, our world doesn't need a church that can sit through a service unmoved. Our world doesn't need a church that's comfortable going through the motions when the presence of God is in the room. Our world is in need of a church of people who've been saved but still desperately need Jesus. Our world is in need of a church that's, even though we're saved, we're still desperately willing to do whatever it takes to get God's attention. Preaching today, she did what she could. We can go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. God, this is all about you. This is for your kingdom. This is for your glory. God, I don't know exactly what you're going to do today, but I know you're going to move. God, I know lives are going to be changed today. I know hearts are going to be stirred. I pray that you anoint me to give it the way you gave it to me. God, and anoint him to receive it. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.
The phrase, to leave it all out on the field, was first recorded as a sports reference in, after the Giants defeated the Philadelphia Eagles in 1961. To leave everything out on the field means that you give total effort to the point you walk away exhausted knowing there was nothing held in reserve and there was nothing else you could have given. One of my favorite things to watch is of, of these races, and you see these people, they race, and at the end, they all just collapse as they cross the finish line because they had exerted so much effort and so much energy. I would do that on a 40-yard run, but these people run a little further. But that you could tell they didn't hold anything back. When they saw the race was almost over, they pushed and pulled everything they had plus a little bit more to leave everything out there. As parents, we tell our kids to give everything they have to whatever it is they're doing. We know that you, they can't be the best at everything. We want them to be what we know they can't. But we want them to at least give their best shot. I want them to, I want them to at least lay their head down knowing, hey, you, you gave it your best shot. You did the best that you could. We know no one's perfect. Everybody falls short. Everybody messes up. Everybody fails. Not everybody can come in first place, but... There's just something to be said of somebody who gives it their all. There's something about when, when you see somebody working, they're just trying to outwork everybody. There's just something about it. It was driven in my head by my dad that, hey, if you're going to go to work, you better be the hardest worker there. So my first real job, I was building scaffolds, and it's like 107 degrees, and I just about gave myself a heat stroke. Went back to the hotel room, turned the heater on all the way. Wasn't a good idea, so I didn't give 100% after that. But I always kept the 1% back. But there's just something about when you see somebody give everything they have. I love watching Mason Carney work. If you've seen him, if he sees somebody pick something up, he's going to pick it up too. And he's going to pick it up and carry it a little further than they did. Because he's just something about him that he's going to show, hey, I'm, you're not going to outwork me. I'm going to give everything I got. I'm going to be the most tired person when I leave here today. And especially in our day. In this entitled society we live in, it's refreshing to see somebody just give it all they've got. And they may not be the most skilled, they may not be the most talented, but at least they know they gave the effort. So this meal that we read from our text, it takes place the night before Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But I want to look at what kind of led up to this night. A few days before Jesus had told the disciples that were somewhere else, and he said, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem. And he began to tell them, hey, I'm going to be killed, but they didn't, it, didn't rec it didn't register with them. They didn't understand exactly what he was talking about, but they knew, okay, we're going to Jerusalem. And some very, very pivotal things in Jesus' ministry happened from when he made that statement to when they arrived in Jerusalem. On the way there, the Bible says that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves and posturing of who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Everybody wanted to sit at his right hand. Everybody wanted to be the best. This is where the mother of James and John went to Jesus and said, Hey, can my son sit on your left and right hand? So there was a lot of positioning and jockeying going on at this time. The disciples were called up in my position, my title. Where am I going to be? How important am I going to be in this kingdom? Right after that, as they were walking into Jericho, blind Bartimaeus is on the side of the road. And blind Bartimaeus began to cry out, have mercy on me, thou son of David. And Jesus healed blind Bartimaeus in spite of the crowd, the disciples, saying, hey, be quiet. Jesus is busy. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Will you stop trying to stop what we're doing 
he cried out anyway and got the attention of Jesus. They walked into Jericho and we find where Zacchaeus climbed a tree so he could see Jesus. When everybody else was just standing on the side of the road trying to see through the crowd, Zacchaeus broke all protocols. He was a rich man. Climbed up in a tree, he said, because I have to see Jesus. Once again, everybody is talking about him, mocking him, saying, why would this rich man get in a tree? And everybody's pushing him off, and he's a sinner. Why would Jesus go to his house? And still missing what was going on. And as they walked out of Jericho, there was two more blind men that did the same thing that blind Bartimaeus did, cried out. And we're also told, hey, you need to be quiet. You need to stop. And they cried out anyway. And got the attention of Jesus. So reading, leading up to this moment, you see where pride and complacency had worked its way into the disciples. They had become comfortable with just being with Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus. They were no longer in awe of the miracles. They just wanted to be first. They just wanted to be somebody in the kingdom. They weren't trying to mess their clothes up. They just wanted to get to Jesus. And all these people just kept bothering them and slowing them down. They're trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest. But all these other people, they just wanted to see Jesus. They were trying to figure out who's going to be the best and who's going to be the leader. And everybody else is just saying, I just want to get to Jesus. They didn't recognize their need for Jesus anymore. They didn't recognize that they still desperately needed God to move in their life. They thought they had it all figured out. At this point, they weren't babies anymore trying to figure out how to walk. They're trying to figure out just just. What ways are you going to use me when you're the king? What are you going to put me over? What are you going to let me lead? What are you going to let me be in control of? And, these, and at, the, at the same time, there's these other people that say, man, I just need Jesus. There's blind Bartimaeus who said, hey, you can have whatever position you want. I just need Jesus today. There's Zacchaeus that said, hey, you can have my job if you want it. I just got to see Jesus. I've heard about him. They've told me about him. I just got to see him. And two other men that said, hey, it worked for him. I'm going to try it too. And they walked away with their healing. They desperately needed something from God. They weren't content. They weren't happy. They just needed something. No doubt these extra steps, they were frustrating the disciples. Jesus said, we're going to Jerusalem, but these people just keep getting in the way. We're just trying to get to the destination. You're pulling on our leader's attention. We've got somewhere to be. Don't you understand? We're trying to establish a kingdom here. Didn't they realize that Jesus had places to be? And finally, they make it to Bethany, right outside of Jerusalem. It's just a short walk to Jerusalem, a couple miles. And so they they know the next day we're going to arrive. We're finally going to make it to Jerusalem for whatever Jesus was trying to do. We're going to make it soon. We're almost there. So they relaxed at the meal that night as they sat in their seats. And it says there was Simon the leper. There was Lazarus. There was the disciples. There was all these people that were connected to Jesus. And they're all laid back. They're having a good meal. Martha is working the table. And she's, she's, she's doing her best. And I want you to picture that. There's Simon. He, he's sitting at the table. He used to be a leper. But Jesus healed his body. But now he's just sitting at the table and comfortable with Jesus. There's Jesus sitting at the head of the table, leaning back a little bit, comfortable. Lazarus, a man Jesus had raised from the dead. The who's who's. This guy had been healed leprosy. This guy had been raised from the dead. And they're sitting at the table with Jesus, along with the disciples who are tired and 
They're all eating and they're all talking with Jesus, having a good time. And Martha, she's working in the kitchen. She's waiting the table. She's going back and forth, making sure everybody's cup is full and everybody's good. It's a normal meal where everybody can unwind and relax. Jesus wasn't necessarily teaching. He was just relaxing. But I want you to picture Mary in the corner of this dimly lit room. They're having their meal over there and Martha's working, going back and forth. And all these great men, they're sitting at the table and they're talking, relaxing with Jesus. And, and, and Mary's in the corner holding this box. A few minutes earlier, she had slipped to her things and she went and got a box that nobody even knew she had. And she's holding it in her hand, nervously watching as they eat their meal, wondering what to do and wondering, is it really worth me stepping out today? Should I, should I really do this? And she started to take a step and, and thought about it again, said, maybe not. Let, let me. And she's wringing her hands, trying to figure out what to do. And finally, her moment came. Martha walked away, and she rushed to the feet of Jesus. And got down on her knees at the feet of Jesus and, began, and broke her vessel open and began to pour it out on Jesus. The meal stopped. She wrecked everything. They were just having an average, regular meal. And Mary said, no, I've got to get to the feet of Jesus. The disciples, they said, what is she doing? She could have sold that to the, and give that money to the poor. Why is she wasting this? That's all that she had. Why is she doing that? And everything is messed up. This flask is worth a, a yearly wage for a man at that time. No doubt this flask was for her own burial when she died. And Mary said, you know what? I know this is meant for me, but I'm going to give all that I have. All that I have is not worth taking to my grave. All that I have is worth being poured out at the feet of Jesus. Said, I could take it to the grave and you could use it on me when I'm buried and I'm dead and gone. But I could pour it out at the feet of Jesus. I could take what's most valuable to me. I could take what's most important to me and break it at the feet of Jesus. She took her hair and began to wash Jesus' feet. Such humility, brokenness. The room is filled with the fragrance. You picture this moment. Everybody had just come to have a meal and she just wrecked it. Why would she do this? And all these people, the disciples, they're just, they're mad. They're aggravated. Say, why do we have to turn it into a circus? We just wanted to have church or meal. We just wanted to have a little service, and we just wanted to have a little church, and we just wanted to come to the house of God, get a meal, and leave. We wanted to talk to our brothers and sisters a little bit and walk out the same way we came, maybe a little more full. But Mary said, no, I didn't come to church today just to go through the motions. Mary said, I didn't come to church today to just walk out a little more full. Mary said, I came to church today to pour everything I had out at the feet of Jesus. Mary said, I came to church today because I needed something to happen in my life. Jesus silenced them. He said, look, the poor, they're always going to be with you. And you can help them whenever you want. But me, it's not, I'm not always going to be here like this. See, it's great. To, you need to pray at home. We need to have a walk with God at home. But we don't get to feel it just like this every day. Is there something about coming to the house of God, being around God's people? Is there something about the presence of God? He said, you're not going to have me like this everywhere. 
He said, this is preparing me for my upcoming burial. He said, I'm, I'm about to do something that's going to change the world. But this had to happen first before I could change the world. Before I can do what I'm called to do, this has to happen. And in one of the most powerful verses, he says, everywhere you go, preach the gospel. But make sure you tell this as a memorial. Everywhere you go, you, they don't even know what the gospel is yet. They don't realize that Jesus is about to be crucified. They said, everywhere you go, when you talk about me, make sure you talk about her. Because my story isn't complete without her story. Because this woman had been, had been saved. This woman had seven devils cast out of her. And this woman had continued to follow me but didn't grow content. She still wanted to be at my feet. See, the man who Jesus had raised, the man who Jesus had healed, the disciples, Martha, it's all just an ordinary meal. But to this woman, it was an opportunity to pour out what she could at the feet of Jesus. Today, I hope that we've come in here to be with Jesus today. I hope, I, 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 that's what I plan on doing today. And too many of us, myself included, we have the danger of just, we woke up this morning, we're just going to go to an ordinary service today. Most people, if we're being honest, we came to get our fix and get ready for the week ahead. We came to either sit at the table or set the table. But we just came for a meal. We just came to get through. Most people, we came to sing our song or hear a message. But is there a Mary that came today that didn't just come to sing their song or just hear a message? That didn't just come to go through the motions, but said, I'm here to see Jesus. Is there a Mary that said, I'm not just here to go through the motions. I'm not just here to go through a meal. But I came today to pour everything, the most valuable thing that I have, out at the feet of Jesus. I didn't come to just go to church. I came to see Jesus. And she said, nothing is going to deny me. You can talk about me if you want to. You can laugh at me if you want to. You can say what you want. But I'm here for Jesus. Says there a Mary that came to church this morning that woke up and said, I'm getting something today. I'm not walking out the way that I came today. Is there a Mary that said, hey, it might be ordinary for everybody else, but for me, something supernatural is going to happen. See, church has become such a common experience that we walk in with common expectations. We, we know we're going to hear good music. We're going to hear a message. If pastor's preaching, it's going to be great. If not, we'll see. And then we'll get on with our day. We'll move on. We know probably where we're going to eat already or we have an idea. We know who we're going to eat with. We know our plans for the day. But then somebody come desperate and said, you know what? I'll cancel the plans if I have to. I might have had plans, but they're really not that important. You see, church becomes predictable when we become predictable. We know who's going to worship during the song service. We know Who's going to jump and shout during the fast song? We know Brother Nathan's not going to sit still. We know Brother Holiday's not going to sit still. We know what to expect. We know who's going to move. We know that when they call up for prayer, who's going to come up for prayer. We know who's going to come up for the altar call. We know how long the altar call is going to last. We have it down to a science. We know what's going to happen when we come to church. But is there a Mary? But standing in the corner... 
It's watching and saying, I know everybody else came for church, and I know everybody, I know who's going to dance, I know who's going to run, I know who's going to do all that. But is there a Mary that's saying, hey, you know what? This is, this is valuable, but i got to break it at the feet of Jesus. I can't hold on to it anymore. It's not valuable to me anymore. i just got to get to Jesus. I could promise you the book of Acts church with anything but predictable. And if we were going to get where God is calling us to be in the spirit, we can't be predictable. We can't be able to go down a list and say, this person is going to respond, this person is going to respond. And as long as 5% of people respond, we're good. We've got to get in a place and say, hey, I'm not here for a show. I'm here for Jesus. I'm not here for the motions. I'm not here for anything else but to pour what I got out of at the feet of Jesus. And if I got to worship when nobody else worships, and if I got to dance when nobody else dance, if I got to be broken at an altar when nobody else is broken, so be it. But I just need Jesus. I'm so tired of ordinary meals. I'm so tired of predictable evening meals on Sunday morning. We've got to get up in our mind. Say, God, draw me back to the place where you called me from. God, draw me back to the brokenness you called me out of. Because I can't settle for anything less. See, when Mary came and broke her alabaster box, this flash, she broke it. Jesus says she did what she could. See, Mary had one big, valuable gift. Just one. And it could only be used one time. She didn't have a big bank account. She didn't have several on a shelf and just grabbed one off the shelf and brought it to the meal that day. She didn't have a big bank account that she could withdraw a nice amount from but leave enough to make her comfortable. She didn't have a portfolio that she could live off the interest and leave the principal untouched. And if something, if we had a good month, I'll give a little extra. She didn't, she didn't have, she wasn't talented enough to make a difference with just a portion of her abilities. Her offering was all or nothing. She said, I either give all that I have or nothing. Either I pour everything out or it's just another ordinary meal. And when Jesus said she did what she could, think about what he's saying. Jesus, by saying she did what she could, he was inferring that there was nothing more that she could have done that day. When he says she did what she could, it infers that she couldn't have done anything more. It implies she gave everything she had available that day. Jesus was saying she didn't hold anything back from me, but she walked away empty-handed. See, we like to give God some of our problems, but if we really want to be free, we've got to lay all of our problems down at the feet of Jesus. All that we have at the feet of Jesus. She didn't try to make it last. She just poured out her most valuable possession all over Jesus. She didn't give what she was comfortable with. She gave what she was physically able to give. See, maybe you're talented enough just to give God a little bit, but some of us don't have that luxury. Maybe you're anointed enough that you can just crack open the bottle and it changes the room, but some of us can't do that. Maybe you're so powerful that if you just pray a minute, you're just going to change the world, but some of us can't do that. If I want to make a difference, i got to break the bottle. If, if I want to make a difference, i got to just break it and say, hey, this is all i got. I can't give a little bit and hope it's enough. i got to give everything i got. And if we're being honest, 
We know we all have to do that, that I can't give God just a little bit and hope that it's enough. i got to give him all that I have. See, I worry that we've gotten just, we know how to just pray enough to get our mind right for church. We know how to worship just enough to feel good. We know how to regulate our response so that we can survive the week but not actually have to change our lifestyle. We know how to just react in the altar that we respond to the message and we let it touch us, but it never really takes root because we walk out and live the same way. We don't change. We don't pray anymore. We don't fast anymore. We don't give anymore. I'm not trying to beat people up today, but God is trying to shake us. That God is trying to wonder. He's wondered, is somebody willing to break the bottle today? Is somebody willing to break the flask? Or are we just going to sit through another meal? Are we just going to leave it on the shelf and say, maybe next time? Or does somebody come desperate and say, I can't go through the motions. God's got to do something in my life. The message of the 21st century church is shifted to just how happy God is with whatever little bit you give. But God told Moses, I'm a jealous God. See, the reason jealousy is a sin for us but not for him is because everything belongs to him. So when we hold something back from him, he has a reason to be jealous. God told Moses, I'm a jealous God. He said, I want it all. He said, I'm not bothered that you only have one talent to give. He's bothered when you don't do anything with it. He's not bothered if you're not the most gifted person in the room. He's just bothered if you hold it back from him. Jealousy, see, it doesn't focus on what you give. It focuses on what you hold back. The true meaning of commitment isn't what you give. It's what you withhold. Surrender is, is, is measured not by how much you give, but what are you holding back? It's not about how much praise you give. It's about how much you hold back. It's not about how much talent you have, but how much you hold back. It's not about how holy you are. It's about what's off limits. God told Moses, look, don't even make covenants with the people of this land so you wouldn't be tempted to go after God's. And then he said, you know what? In fact, I want you to destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves. He said, I don't want any evidence or remnants because I don't want you to be drawn to go back. God said, I don't want you to do halfway. I want you to give it everything. He said, if you're going to be in covenant with me, give everything. Don't just partially do it. Don't halfway do it. Don't just sort of do it. Give me what you've got. The story of Cortez when he arrived in the Americas that he burned the ships so there would be no temptation to go back. But we've got to make up in our mind is I've got to burn the altars. I've got to get rid of everything because God's not looking at just... He's worried about what am I holding back? What am I keeping from him? What am I not surrendering to him? See, if we would do everything that we could, powerful, powerful things would take place in the church. If we would just, instead of just dipping a little worship out of our reservoir and pouring it out on the altar, if we would just pour out everything we got, just a thought. What if we worshipped and poured out so much worship and praise during church that we couldn't even worship for a saint's touchdown when we got home? What if we poured out so much praise that we had nothing less for anything else? Because God is the only one that really deserves it at the end of the day. If our commitment crossed out of our comfort zones, our world would be turned upside down. See, earlier this year, God began to deal with me about some things, and he wanted to take me to another level. And I think I've told some people, I may have talked about it in the pulpit, I'm not sure, but I know somebody hadn't heard it, so I'm going to talk. So God, he called me on a fast, and the first day of this fast, like the first, it would be day one before the fast even started, 
I had a dream. In this dream, Eric and I were sitting in an old house, and there was two ladies in the house. And there was an older lady and a younger lady. And they were telling us, they weren't physically restraining us, but they said, whatever you do, don't leave. Don't walk out the house. Stay right here. Don't move. And they were just, they, they weren't making us be there, but they were just, they really, really didn't want us to leave. And so we knew that something felt wrong in the dream. So as soon as the ladies walked out of the room, we got our stuff and we took off. We, we, we got out the door and we're walking, we're running to the car. And right as we get to the car, the older lady comes around the corner and she's angry. And she's just mad and she has Erica's coat in her hand and she's reaching for me with this angry, angry look on her face. And I was trying to push her away and the dream ended. Said, what in the world? And God didn't tell me what it was. So a couple weeks later, I've been praying about it. Like, just God, you got to tell me what that was. And God spoke to me just kind of out the blue. He said, look, this lady with spiritual contentment. She is contentment with the thing, with the way things are. And she's always going to be angry when you try to leave her behind. She's going to tell you don't move. She's going to tell you don't leave. She's going to tell you whatever you do. She can't physically stop you. But she's going to say, whatever you do, don't leave. He said, but when you try to leave, it's going to stir some things up. Because during this time, all hell broke loose in our house. Gentry started having some issues and, and started having some more issues, struggling really, really mightily. And the devil was just coming against our home. And, and, and God said, look, when you try to leave her behind, it's going to, it stirs up things. It stirs up spirits that are comfortable with where you are, that have, that have become comfortable with your life. And when you start to move, it's going to stir up spiritual warfare. See, some of you, you've tried to take a step forward, and you try to step in the right direction, and all hell breaks loose, and you say, well, maybe I wasn't supposed to do that. Maybe I wasn't. That was spiritual contentment, that the things that had just been settled around you, as soon as you start to move, they're going to start fighting against you because they don't want you to leave. And when you start to take a step forward, you're challenging the things that have become comfortable in your life. See, when Mary poured it all out, the others got indignant. They got mad about it. It stirred up the other people who had grown comfortable with the way things were. They started ridiculing her fanaticism. They talked bad about her, her gift. They criticized her offering because she's, this giving made them uncomfortable. The devil don't like it when you step forward. The devil is telling you right now, hey, you better not do anything different. Let somebody else respond today. The devil's telling some of y'all, he's preaching to your wife. He's preaching to your husband. He ain't preaching to you. The devil's a liar. God wants to do something in your life, but the only way we're going to get there is if we get outside of a place of spiritual contentment and say, I'm ready to fight that fight if it comes because I've got to get to Jesus. I'm willing to be talked about. I'm willing to be ridiculed. I'm, re I'm willing to be run down because I desperately need to see God move in my life. More than anything else, more than your praise, more than your acceptance, I need God to move in my life. People are going to question your actions and motivations. They're going to question why did you do that. They're going to talk about you. They're going to run your name through the mud. They're going to run you down. But you've got to make up in your mind this is a fight worth fighting. I can continue to just serve the table. I can just continue just to sing my song and walk out of church the same way that I came. I can continue to sit on a pew and not be changed. Or I can make up in my mind, I'm not leaving this meal the same way I came. I'm not leaving church the same way that I came today. See, Jesus let the criticism go for a few minutes. 
But then he stopped it. He said, all right, that's enough. Commanded everybody to in that room say, hey, when you preach my story, preach her story. When you tell about what I've done, make sure you tell what she's done. See, the gospel message is about surrender, giving it all. That Jesus loved that she gave all that she had. Jesus loved that she broke the vessel, didn't just crack the vessel open. Jesus loved that she emptied it all out. She didn't try to hold some back. Jesus loved that she gave everything she had. The disciples, they had become so content and comfortable. They had been bothered by the disruptions. Blind Bartimaeus bothered them. Zacchaeus bothered them. The other blind men, they bothered them. They weren't getting what God was trying to do. That was no accident. God knew, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, exactly where he was going. He knew what he would find there. Jesus said, you know what? I need my disciples to be shaken a little bit. I need some things to happen to remind them why I'm here. That I'm not here for them. I'm here for everybody on this earth. I'm here for the broken. I'm here for everybody. The problem wasn't with Mary's offering. It was with the contentment of the crowd. Don't let the fear of criticism from comfortable people rob you of your blessing. Don't let the rejection of carnal people keep you from giving all that you can for Jesus because there are going to be some people that reject you. There are going to be some people that talk about you. Don't be intimidated by people who just came to sit at the table and didn't come to fall broken at the feet of Jesus. See, Jesus, all these people, they've been hearing his messages. They've been receiving miracles. They've been touched by God. Lazarus had been raised. The leper had been healed. God had done all these things and they still missed it. So Jesus said, hey, before we go into Jerusalem, let me make sure they understand this. She gave all that she could. And that's what I love. That's what matters to me. Is there a church that's hungry for a move of God? See, Bartimaeus wasn't enough. Zacchaeus wasn't enough. It took Mary breaking the vessel to get their attention. We've got to get up in our mind. Is there somebody who say, I'll be the first to break the vessel. I'll be the first to pour it all out at the feet of Jesus. I don't have to wait on somebody else. I'm not waiting on somebody to show me what to do. But I desperately need God to move in my life. Go ahead and to the music. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Paul had apparently become too comfortable with his abilities. So God sent what Paul describes as a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times and God wouldn't take care of it. Instead, God said, and he said unto me, Great, my grace is sufficient for my, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God was using his issue to remind Paul of his need for grace. And we know that we can abuse God's grace if we continue to sin after God gives it, if we just willfully sin. But I submit that we can also abuse God's grace by forgetting just how badly we need it. See, I'm a sinner in desperate need of Jesus. Yeah, I'm a preacher, but I still need God's presence in my life. Yes, I go to church, but I still have to pour myself out at the feet of Jesus. I haven't arrived. And God help me if I ever get to the place where I think I'm comfortable. See, because Mary gave what she could. Jesus gave what only he could give. Mary gave her life savings, but Jesus gave her his life. Mary supplied the oil for the burial, but Jesus gave the body. And if you can give what only you can give, God will give what only he can give. But if you hold it back, 
you're going to walk out of here the same way you came. If you go through the motions and just do average church and don't do anything different, nothing's going to change. It's family month. I want to challenge some mom and dads for a moment. Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached around the world, be sure to mention what she did for me as a memorial. Jesus didn't say, hey, make sure you tell everybody that Simon the leper was a great host. He didn't say, make sure you tell everybody that Martha prepared a really good meal. He didn't say, hey, make sure you tell everybody that Lazarus was, and the disciples, they provided great conversation that night. He didn't say that. He said, make sure you tell about the one who gave all that she could at my feet. He said, if you want to leave a legacy for future generations, stop going through the motions and pour the most valuable thing you have out at the feet of Jesus. Mom and dad, if you want your kids to live for God, show them how important living for God is. Show them that he's worth more than your pride. Show them that he's worth more than your money. He's worth more than your hobbies. Don't just sit at the table on Sunday mornings. Don't just go sing on the platform. Don't just go to church and pour it all out at the feet of Jesus. Pour out what's most valuable. Dad, show them you would rather be at church than on a deer stand. Mom, show them the church is a community. You don't just show up, but you make connections with people. Dad, show them that being at prayer meeting after a long day at work is important. And when you get there, don't just make it through the service, but pray like it's everything to you. Pray like it means all that you have. Mom, show them that the altar call matters by falling on your face before God and not checking your watch and saying, is it time to get up? But saying, God, I'm not leaving until I poured everything out at your feet. Dad, let your kids see you broken at an altar. Let them see you open your Bible at home. Let them see you worship and put your pride aside and say, God's worth looking foolish for. Let them know that this is more valuable than anything else. Show them. Don't just tell them. Show them that this is worth pouring everything out at the feet of Jesus. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down.